The following For the City sermon is from our sermon series by Pastor Scott Rising entitled Feast for Failures from the book of Luke. We hope you enjoy it. Hey, so family, we're going to continue in the Gospel of Luke. I know that might be surprising to you. Some of you, it's like, no, it's not surprising. But sometimes on Mother's Day, you, you do something different. You do this pithy little thing where it's kind of like, you know, wisdom for moms. It's like, ugh. We don't do that. Um, I'm not against that. We just don't do that. We believe the Word of God is sufficient for all. And no matter where we find ourselves is where we're going to be. Okay? So, if you were hoping for a Mother's Day sermon, sorry to disappoint. But... I don't believe the Word of God will disappoint. So, so let's get going today. All right. Hey, so up till now, um, in this moment where we find ourselves in Luke, much of Jesus' life and ministry has taken place in, in Galilee, in, in the northern area, right, around the Galilee Sea. And now Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem. All right, this, is the, this is like the New York City, right? This is where everything happens. This is where the temple is. This is where all your religious and political leaders are. All the hubbub happens right in Jerusalem. So he's leaving Podunk, Galilee, and he's going to journey with his disciples, with this tribe of people that he's called to follow him into Jerusalem. So what we're entering in Luke now is, is actually what's known as the journey or the travel narrative, okay? And, and as... As we continue to, to follow Jesus on this journey, he's going to continue to ramp up what it means to follow him. Not just for his disciples there, or would-be followers, but, but essentially for us. Right? I never want you to think the Word of God was, like, this is just a nice story. Oh, we're going to come and we're going to have story time with Scott. This is true history, but this history, this Word's living, it's active. It's true for you today. Okay, And so we should never think, well, that was for them. I'm going to tell you right now, what we're about to enter into over the next nine chapters, many of the teachings are unsettling. They're, they're actually fiercely radical, and, and at times they're scary. If you'll read it, and if you'll, if you'll really embrace what it's saying, you're like, that can't be what he's saying. Well, that's what he's saying, probably. Now, you might have it wrong, but there's times where he's just going to shock you. And, and so... I'm going to work really hard to make sure that we think through these verses properly. So I would ask that you be praying for me, okay? Um, I would also say my aim is to resist the temptation to water down the Word of God by softening it, by making it more palatable so that you guys won't be uncomfortable. You're going to be uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable as I think through it. And what does this mean for us today? There's a, there's, a, there's a temptation to make the Word of God say what you want it to say. But we want the, the Word of God to speak in, in the truest force of what it is and what Jesus is saying. So this is not going to be any different today. If you were paying attention as Eli was reading the Word, these are some unsettling words. They really are. So let's get to it. Verse 51, chapter 9 of Luke. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Literally, it, Jesus stiffened his face he, he, with resolute. I'm going there. I know where I'm going. I know what's going to cost me when I get there. It's going to be excruciating. The word excruciating literally means from the cross. It's going to be pain. It's going to be pain. The, the, the love that he has with the Father, it will always be there. But there's going to be a time on that cross he's going to feel very alone. He's going to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In his humanity, he is going to be in agony. And he knows it. And he set his face. And that's where he's going. You may have to do this when you go to the dentist. Or some other un, you know, little procedure that you might not be looking forward to. Right? I just got to get this done. I'm going to set my face and I'm going to go. Right? And you show up and you hope it's not as bad as you think it is. But for Jesus... He's going to die on a cross. Now he knows. He knows why he's going there. He's going there to, to, to complete the mission that God the Father has sent him on. Namely, God has sent him to die on a cross, to resurrect from a grave, in order to provide salvation to all who would trust and believe in him. But it's going to cost him his life. Have you ever determined to accomplish a mission and there really is just a point where you know there's just no turning back. If, if, if we, okay, 
We could go a little further and we could probably change our minds. But there comes this point and it's this moment where if I, if I take one more step, there is no going back. It's kind of like the Jerry Maguire moment, right? He's telling everybody quit. He's like, who's coming with me? No one gets up. He grabs the fishbowl. I know not, you're all so young. You don't get this. And he just walks out and he says, all right, the goldfish, they're coming with me. And he quits his career. Right then and there, he, he's really met the point of no return, even though he really thought more people would come. I had that moment a little bit, like, go on to Greensburg, who's coming with me? Thank God for all five of you. <laughs> so, but there's this moment where, you can't, I'm just kidding, just, just joshing, you know, just joking around. There's, no, there's none of that. We had this moment one time, many times as a family, but one time in particular, it's pretty funny. We went to Maine. Numerous times. At one time, we had some young people in our lives that were just talking about this hike called the Beehive. Okay? You may have been on it. You may have heard of it. And, and, and we're like, yeah, but is it kind of risky? Is it a little scary? And they're like, no, it's nothing. It's a piece of cake. They don't know my lovely bride. It was not a piece of cake for her. As a matter of fact, it actually wasn't a piece of cake for me. It's a little terrifying at points because if you take one wrong step, you're going to see Jesus that day. Like you're, it's not like, oh, I might break an arm. No, you're dying. People have died on this trail, right? There's a point where you're climbing up on the, the face of this thing, and you think, I should be strapped into something, and you're not. And then you get anxious. And when I get anxious, my palms sweat. And when my palms sweat, I feel like I can't grab these rungs as well. And now I feel like I'm slipping. But I'm actually not worried about myself. I'm worried about my daughter who thinks she's Spider-Man. And she's up there just going crazy. She has no real fear at this moment in life. That has changed. But she's just like, look, Dad. And I'm like, I'm looking. And there's this one point, And I'm actually going to post it with my wife's permission in our little group as for the city that you might be able to see her face. She looks at me, and it's really like, what in the H-E double hockey sticks have you done to our family? Now, here's the thing. I remember the sign. I even took a picture of the sign. It says, warning, if you go past this point, you will go past the point of no return. Because there's this little thing called a ledge. And there are people behind you. And you can't turn around. You can't sit down. You can't cry. It's you got to keep moving forward. And so we did. And it was horrible for at least one of us. But I'll tell you right now, all that was gone when we finally got to the top. And we could just see the Atlantic Ocean and all the beautiful sights. And all we're drenched in sweat, but nothing but smiles. Nothing but smiles in that picture. I'll post that picture too. That's a better one. But what I want you to know is, as bad as that might have been, going to the cross is a little worse. And when I say a little, I mean a lot. But Jesus is looking past that point. It's for the joy that's set before him. What's the joy? The joy of obeying the Father and bringing sinful people like us into the kingdom. That's the mountaintop moment. And so when it says he, he's going to Jerusalem, he's, he's looking towards his actual, the actual words, his ascension. When he goes to be with the Father, once again, making a way for all of the children to come and embrace the joy of the Father. So he sets his face. He's, he's not going to look to the left. He's not going to look to the right. He's only looking forward. He's not going to look back. Why? Because it's only when he goes forward that he will be victimized. That will happen. But he'll be vindicated, and he will be victorious. And he knows this. Why? Because his father has promised it. And he knows, I can trust my father. No matter how hard it gets, I can keep moving forward. So the time is now. And so he sets his face. And he starts marching towards his death. But along the way, he's going to call people to come with him. And there's going to be some who they just they want to go. Why? Well, because they probably got a wrong Jesus in mind. They think this Messiah is going to come and set up the kingdom here on earth. And he's going to be the king that crushes Rome. We're going with you. It's going to be great. Can't wait. And look, verse 52 says, And he sent messengers ahead of him. Right? Why? Well, because when you're traveling with, I don't know, at, at bare men, 12, but it's definitely more than that. He's got a band of misfits, probably closer to 100 or so people. There are no hotels, motels, holiday inn. 
You're going to be dependent upon hospitality. You need people to open your home, right? You need food, right? Because you can't just stop at the old Taco Bell, right? And get yourself a fish burrito. You need people to open their home and open their kitchen to you and to your people. And so he sends messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. Uh, and so it says, but the people, the Samaritans, they didn't receive him. Why? Well, because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? I'm sorry, that's, that's a wild thing to say. But he turned and he said, shut up. No, he actually said, he rebuked them. I don't know what he said, but he said, I guarantee it's not cool that you're like ready to call down fire on this village because they're not ready to receive us. And they went on to another village. Just look at this text. This text doesn't get a lot of attention, but this journey has taken a dark turn, right? These disciples, uh, James and John, in, in another gospel, they're called the sons of thunder, right? These guys loved MMA. They ate chicken wings till they got really sick, right? They were just like, let's call down some fire upon this village. They won't welcome you, Jesus. We'll show them, right? And Jesus is like, no. Why? Why would they say that? Well, there's a little history here. The relationship between the Jews and Samaritans was, let's say, hostile at best. I mean, hostile. They hated each other. They really, really hated each other, right? Even though, listen, Samaria was the most direct route to go from Galilee into Jerusalem. Most of the time, if Jewish people were traveling, they would almost always skirt around that area. It's just not worth it. They're not, it's not worth the, the hostility. It's not worth the hatred. There's a potential danger about going there. So let's just go around. I remember having that moment one time when I was younger and the Lord had not saved me and I liked alcohol more than I should. And I went to, I caught a bus to get to Oakland from downtown Pittsburgh and I was partying at Pitt and I didn't have any money on me, shocker for a young college guy, but I had enough to get back on the bus. The bus stops running at 11. Okay, that's a problem. There's no Uber driver, and I didn't have Kevin to call. Kevin bails me out all the time when I need a ride. And so here I am, and I got to go, and the only way to get back is through the Hill District. And at 2.30 in the morning, it's not a great place to walk, in my opinion. You may love it. I don't recommend it. Okay, I tried to skirt around it. There's no way to skirt around it. You just got to go through it. Well, Jesus didn't, he didn't have to take the tribe through Samaria. And he does. He does. Why? On purpose, willingly. Doesn't he know that they hate Jews? Well, it's a mutual hatred though. See, Jews and Samaritans went way back for centuries. That hatred went way back. Why? Because Samaritans, they intermarried with Assyrians, which God had forbid. And so they, they intermarried, which meant they had children that were intermingled, right, between Jewish blood and, let's say, pagan blood. And because of that, not only was their, their blood mingled, but so was their worship. And so they didn't really worship what Jesus said, the one true God. And so they were no longer welcome into the temple, the only place where you could actually worship God truly. They weren't welcome there. Why? Because Jews said, you're unclean. You're unclean. You're not true blood. So what did they do? Well, let's just, let's have the second temple of Yahweh. And they built that on Mount Gerasene. And they said, we'll just worship here. And, and what happened throughout time, though, is a lot of their worship got a little wacky. They kind of had the first five books of the Bible, which would be the Torah. But even that, it was kind of syncretism. They took a little bit of what the, the Gentile people believed, and they shoved that in there. And before you know it, you've got a very pagan religion, and the Jews hated them. Hated them. It was a racial hatred, by the way. It was racial hatred. I mean, Jews would call them half-breeds. And if you think that was bad, the, the, the fight continued to the point where Jews would respond by publicly cursing the Samaritans in the synagogues, and then they would pray daily that they might not enter eternal life. Imagine that being part of your prayers. Let's pray for Aunt Judy and that the Samaritans would not have eternal life. <laughs> I mean, it's insane, right? So when, when they say, you want us to call down fire, I mean, 
This isn't, this isn't like, oh, that's out of line with how Jews felt. No, that was right in line with them. Um, by the way, Samaritans weren't some people like, oh, that's too bad. I feel for them. No, actually, they would respond by going into the temple in Jerusalem and throw dead human bones into the temple to desecrate the temple so that the Jews couldn't worship. It was hatred. It was a lot of hatred. So it's not surprising that the Samaritan village didn't welcome Jesus and the tribe, <laughs> right? It's not surprising at all, and it's actually not surprising that James and John didn't take this matter lightly. It's not surprising at all, right? They're ready to show off their newfound authority. We can cast out some demons. We can heal some folks. Let's call down fire. Let's just burn them up. These boys are fired up. Why? Well, I think at the end of the day, it's the honor of Christ that they're fired up about. And that seems right. It really does seem right. However, um, we've got to be careful. Why? Because we live in a tension. Now, hear me out. My concern is that people are either sinfully angry at the culture all the time, just ready, you're ready to call down some fire, right? Or you're sinfully apathetic. And people might, you know, curse Christ and, you know, might even watch it on South Park and all get a giggle out of that. And both are wrong. Both are wrong. Why? Because that should never be our attitude towards Jesus being dishonored. Right? My guess is, though, in our culture, most people run, and most people that you run with are sinfully apathetic. That's my guess. Because we live in a culture that waters everything down nowadays, right? They, they, this culture loves to worship at the altar of niceness. It really does. And, and, and we really put niceness up as our ultimate deity. We don't want to offend anything or anyone. Therefore, we'd never get upset over the many people who might mock or dishonor Christ. And it's very popular in our culture to mock Jesus. It really is popular. The question is, does that distress you? Does it ever bother you? That's a question you have to think about. The answer is it should. The question is, what do you do with it when it does? That is the question. It's not, should it upset you? It should upset you. But what do you do with it? Does it drive you to prayer? Does it drive you to say, God, have mercy on these people. I was just like them. Does, what, what is it, does it drive you to sinful anger? You're ready to grab a flamethrower. You're like, I can't call down fire from heaven, but I can create some. Right? Or do you say, ah, who cares? That's a question you should wrestle with. See, James, you shouldn't do what James and John did. There's nothing good about that. How do we know? Jesus rebuked them. It's not a guess. It's like, oh, I wonder. No, don't have to wonder. It's not good. Their response, though, was, was actually not way off base. Because in their Bible, they would read of Elijah, the man who called down fire from heaven on the altar, and then he would slaughter like 900 false prophets in a day. Now, that's a hard day's work. I don't know how, how hard it is to slaughter 900 people, but I'm guessing you got a sweat going, Right? You got a sweat going. Oh, you think that's, well, that's just one time. He didn't actually call it down on people. Oh, but then he read 2 Kings chapter 1. And there's this nasty, evil king named Ahab, and, and they're trying to get Elijah. And so Ahab's smart. He's like, I'm not going, but I'm going to send 50 of you, and you go get him. That guy, he's up on the mountain praying, doing whatever he's doing. Go get him. So they go, and they try to take him over by force, and they're like, hey, hey, Elijah, come down. And Elijah says, if I'm a man of God, I'm just going to call fire down upon you. And he does, and it does, and all 50 of them, gone. That should be a Netflix series, by the way. <laughs> Ahab says, that ah, didn't work the first time. Let's try again. Sends 50 more. Could you imagine being that 50? <laughs> this is dangerous. They go, hey, man of God, get down here. He says, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down on your head. Fire comes down on their head. 50 of them, gone. Now, Ahab's not real smart. He says, hey, you guys, go. 50 more. Right? We know how this ends. They're a little, they're a little more wise. They're like, please, <laughs> please come down. You're like, what happens next? Read your Bible, 2 Kings chapter 1. Okay. So these guys know that story. They know it. So it's not too far off the reservation to say, do you want us to call fire down upon these people who are rejecting you? You are the Messiah after all. And if Elijah's going to do that, we should do that. What do they miss? 
What do they miss? They miss that this is a different time. God's not different. God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But this is a different time. It's a different situation. If you remember in Luke 6, 27, Jesus said this, but he said, I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Church, first point, following Jesus is about living to magnify the mercy of God in Christ. That's it's the first thing Jesus wants us to always remember. Listen, if you're a people who have received mercy, be merciful. You'll get more mercy from God. To what? Be merciful. To be merciful. See, the reason that Jesus corrected these two very passionate young men was because they really misunderstood the nature of Jesus' mission right here, right then, in that moment. Jesus has come to save his enemies. Jesus has come to be crushed in their place. Jesus is going to receive on the cross the wrath of God. The fire will come down on that altar. If he wanted to call down fire on everyone, he didn't have to show up in humility as a human. He could just do it with a word. That's not what he's come to do, though. He's come to die in their place, in our place. This is why, listen, there's no room... For those who are saying, I love Jesus, I love the gospel, I love God, I'm, I'm God's people who are bloodthirsty, angry, rage in their eyes towards people that don't line up with the way they think things should. Because, oh, but they, the temptation, they hide behind this religious facade, right? And, and they really have a, a righteous anger, that's the word they use. And they stand out in front of their, you know, people's funerals with pickets saying, God's going to burn you up. You've missed it. You don't even understand the heart of God. You want to be angry? Be angry that that's where your heart goes if you've experienced the love and the grace and the mercy of God through Christ Jesus. This is a time of mercy. That kind of vengeful spirit, by the way, it, it really is of Satan. It's not the spirit of the merciful God of Christ. Jesus says the, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is the marks of God's people. And so you think, well, does, do we need that lesson? You do. I'll tell you why. I met a guy one time at the commonplace who was a new pastor, but he was an older fella, and he really loved the, the, the precatory psalms where they just call down fire on people. And he's like, and this is during the time of Al-Qaeda being a big deal, 9-11. And he said, and I've been praying that on those people ever since this began. What do you think about that? Don't ever ask me what I think about that if you don't want to know what I think about that. And so I told him what I thought about that. I said, I think that's satanic. And he said, well, it's biblical. I'm like, you don't even understand the gospel. You should probably quit your job. We became friends eventually. <laughs> but it wasn't then. He was really upset with me. I was really upset with him. Because I thought, you're teaching people this. It's not okay. It's not the way of Christ. See, Jesus was not sent into the world to judge the world. He is the judge. And he will judge. There is a day of judgment. But that's not what he had come to do in that moment in time. He come to receive the judgment in our place. Why? So that we might escape the wrath of God. That we might be able to enjoy life with God. This is why he came. And so because he's an instrument of mercy and grace, he's full of truth, he's full of grace... His people ought to be full of grace and full of truth. We now get to be the instruments of mercy in the city who desperately needs mercy, not judgment. There's no mercy in judgment. Now, there will be a time of judgment. But until then, oh, we're agents of reconciliation. We're agents of forgiveness. We're agents of, of declaring the good news of Jesus Christ dying for sinners like us. We deserve judgment. Jesus received it in our place. Receive forgiveness through Christ alone. This is the call. We don't hand out condemnation. Our aim is to hand out invitation. Big difference. 
Big difference. Well, I've got to convict them of sin. It's actually not your job to convict people of sin. It's not my job to convict people of sin. Only the Holy Spirit can convict people of sin. So yeah, we, we, we preach the Word. We open the Word. We don't shy away from the plain meaning of the text. And we trust that God's doing that work. But you're like, well, I'm here to be the righteous anger of God. It's not your role. It's not your role. I remember being very young in the Lord and actually having much sinful anger in my life and I would hide behind biblical words because it made me feel better at night. Like, boy, I wish the Lord would bring back, you know, the Old Testament prophet kind of guy. You know, kind of where I, Nehemiah just gets to go rip out the beards of dudes and slap them around and tell them to follow Jesus. Was that, did I really care about people following Jesus? No. I just wanted God to line up with my anger. And what was his word to me? Repent. Change your mind. Follow me. Well, who are you? Well, I'm gentle and I'm lowly. <laughs> I give you peace. I give you grace. I help you. And he did. See, here's the deal, though. Both sinfully angry and both and sinfully apathetic people need to have their minds transformed. We need to have our minds transformed by the renewing of the Word of God. Those who would follow Jesus Christ must be merciful. And when you're not merciful, and there'll be times you're not merciful, I know there's many times in my week I'm not merciful, then we ask God for mercy. And we ask Him to transform my thinking. We ask Him to transform my heart. We say, fill me with your mercy. Help me. I want to be like you. Help me. I mean, this is what we're singing. That's what we're praying. That's what we're asking the Lord to do. A merciful heart is essential for those who follow Christ. So the first thing he wants his disciples to know is that we're on a mission of mercy. Okay. Well, there's some would-be followers. They're like, all right, let's do this. Look at verse 57. And as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go, Jesus. And Jesus said to him, listen to this, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead, bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, Oh, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those who are at my home. And Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Oh my gosh. Are you serious, Jesus? This is, like, that's a little intense. Let's be real, right? You're talking to someone, the white rabbit, and they're like, man, I'd love to follow Jesus. Good, put your cappuccino down. Let's rock and roll. <laughs> First of all, you're not Jesus. Well, that'd be a little strange. But a cappuccino, I could probably, I'd drink it real quick and let's rock and roll. Let the dead bury the dead? Oh, my goodness. He said, I will follow you. First one says, listen, Jesus, do you know what you're saying? You're going to scare some people away. That's a little intense. Yeah, I think you need to, you know, water that one down. Don't say to people, you, I, I have no place to lay my head. You won't either. Let the dead bury the dead. All right? Put your hand to the plow. Don't look back. Let's rock and roll. What are you doing, Jesus, is the question. i got to tell you what he's doing. He's, he's teaching and he's testing. That's what he's doing. You know, there are many churches that if they said, I'll follow you wherever, they've already got you wet and signed up to serve next Sunday. <laughs> I mean great. They don't even ask if you actually know Jesus or if you've ever thought about what repentance and faith might look like. Just, yay! Not Jesus. He doesn't do that at all. He's teaching and he's testing. Jesus knows what this, this mission's going to cost. He knows what it entails and he wants them to know the basics of being a disciple of Jesus, of being a Christian. Oh, how many churches make those two separate categories? I even read it on a reputable website this week. They're not. A follower of Christ is a disciple. A disciple is a Christian. It means little Christ. There's no separate category. I just want to be a Christian. I don't actually want to be a disciple who makes disciples. What? I mean, I don't understand that kind of thinking. He says, follow me. 
following Christ is much more than just learning about Jesus and attending church every once in a while. It's much more than that. Now, now the pathway forward is always grace. Just come and receive. And as you receive, you go. And I teach you what it looks like to follow me. Here's the thing. We are in a culture right now that's deconstructing at an alarming rate and de-churched at an alarming rate. And I think that this is part of it. We just place Jesus as some easy believism just to tag on to your, you know, I don't know, your Facebook account, right? It's, it's like what you do. I golf and I follow Jesus sometimes, right? And, and I think it's done real harm to the, to the church. And Jesus is really, he's really refining, I think, in this moment, who are his. And, and the harder things get, the more it'll be refined. By the way, side note, I think you're going to see this as J.C. Ryle says. This guy's old dude, he's, but he saw this coming a long time ago. Why? Because nothing's changed. This isn't new. Listen to what he says. He says, nothing has done more harm to Christianity than the practice of filling the ranks of Christ's army with every volunteer who is willing to take to make a little profession and to talk fluently of his experience. It may be painfully forgotten that numbers alone don't make strength and that there may be great quantity of mere outward religious people while there's very little real grace happening in their heart. He said, let us tell them, young people and old people, all who inquire plainly that there is a crown of glory at the end, but let us also no less plainly tell them that there is a cross daily that you must pick up along the way. Listen, if you follow Jesus, you may not have a place to stay. You might have a beautiful house. You may not be popular. You might have lots of friends. You might be rejected. You might not be. But here's the deal. Jesus is testing the sea. Am I the greatest treasure of your heart? That's, that's what he's asking these people. They say, I'll follow you. And he says, really? You'll follow me? Well, let me tell you where this might lead. Because I'm going to be naked and homeless. I'm going to be rejected and spit upon. I'm going to be murdered. That's what it's going to cost to follow me. Are you willing to give up your life? That's what he's asking. And see, when you and I follow Jesus, he has a way of putting us to the test, not because he's mean, but because he loves you. He has a way of squeezing out the things that compete for his attention. And, and he has a way of showing us our words don't always match our hearts. Our heart or our hearts don't always match our words. We say things, but we don't necessarily believe them. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. He deals with us as individuals. He's not telling you you've got to get rid of your house. But he's saying if it comes down to that, would you? He knows these three individuals, and he sees, I, he sees right into the heart of these people, and he says, I know if it were to come down to this, you might not. Are you willing to give up your home? Are you willing to give up this? Why? Because he's more concerned about your eternal joy than your temporary comfort. Oh, he's such a good God. And he's willing to expose if Jesus really is the treasure or if maybe your security, your, your, your family, all these different things that may actually be good things, are they triumphant though? Do they have supreme place in your heart and in your mind and in your thinking? And he knows what your idol is, just like he knew these people. And so he deals with us as individuals. I remember one time being at a church service, and the preacher, he was a guest preacher, totally ministered to me in an amazing way. And he gave out these little cards at the end, and it said, Anytime, anywhere, anything, yes, Jesus, sign. <laughs> and I'm, I remember at that stage, I signed it. Right? I didn't know what, I mean, really, I, I, was a, I was a mature walking with Jesus guy. I really meant it. But then many times, God, along the way, that path, he would show me, really? Well, how about this? I'm like, eh, is that really fit under the category of everything? It does. And slowly, he just kept working in me and through me. And he's still doing that. I've not arrived. You've not arrived. He knows our idols. He knows what our hearts long for that are more than him. And he's kind to show us. So why does this matter? Well, the second point is following Jesus is, is about treasuring him above comfort. 
That's what we see with this first guy, right? Foxes have holes, right? Birds of the air have nests. Son of man, nowhere to lay his head. That's rough stuff, Jesus. It's rough stuff. What's he saying? He's saying the beast of the field, the, the birds of the air, they have more possessions than me. You want to follow me still? Ugh. Well, I don't know. <laughs> right? See, here, what's the deal? Jesus isn't just looking for Bible-believing people. He's looking for Bible-obeying people. There's a big difference between the two, but really there's not. Because if you really believe, you will obey. And I'm not saying perfectly, but I'm saying if you're my treasure, I'm gone with you. I'm gone with you. And he won't ask you to leave anything that, that's, that's good. It's not like, well, Jesus is telling me to divorce my wife. He's not telling you to divorce your wife. Why? Because he doesn't contradict his word. But you might be thinking, why well, follow him then? Well, that's not good, right? You probably should get some counseling if that's where your marriage is at. And it might be where your marriage is at. He's not saying, leave the house because I want you to be homeless. No, he's saying, if your house owns your loyalty and your worship, well, that's a problem. But if it doesn't, you might open it up and you might be hospitable. And you might have lunch for your neighbors. And you might say, this ain't even my house. This is the Lord's house. And we're going to worship the Lord with this house. Do you see the difference? He's not, I want to be really clear, he's not saying that you cannot enjoy having a home. I have a home and I enjoy it. Right? What is he saying? He's, he's, he's not against you having things. He's really against things having you. That's the point. Or, if you're not like that, maybe you're like Tyler Durden from Fight Club, who says, the things that you own end up owning you. Do you, get, do you get what he's saying? I occupy your heart. If you're homeless, that's not going to be good, but I'm with you. If your family abandons you, I'll be with you. You'll have more family. Right? Put your hand to the plow. Look to me and don't look back because I'm where life is. That's what he's saying. But man, he's had to be some confounding words. By the way, side note, Maybe have been, if you're on any social media, you've heard of the thing called Life Surge Conference coming to Pittsburgh in August. Have you heard of this? No. Okay. <laughs> that would fail flat. Because I said it here, it'll all show up on your apps today. By the way, we love the IRS. We love the government. Give us discounts. Because um, we know they're listening. Just kidding. Not really. Um, but listen, now you're going to see it. So I feel like just real quick, I just got to talk real quick about it. Life Surge Conference, man, they got some real heavy hitters. They got uh, Matt Tomlin. What's his name? Chris Tomlin. Right? I, I was thinking of Mike Tomlin. <laughs> That's the coach. All right. You got Chris Tomlin. You got, you got Tim Tebow. Woo! You got all these folks. And, and I got to tell you, I've taken enough time to look at it to say it's prosperity gospel junk. Sorry. You need to know it. Why? Because they're going to suck at least 100 bucks out of your pocket. And then they're going to try to get you to sign up for monthly things where you can have a thriving business. But be a good steward of it. I mean, they'll talk about that. But, but, but it's such a distortion of the gospel. It's, it's, it really is. And if you want to go, I think you'll see it if you go. But don't. Don't. I'm sure they'll eventually stream it. You can watch how bad it is then. There'll be good stuff in it. I mean, these things don't get traction because they're all bad. It's like 90% good, 10% bad. Save your money. Why? Because it's just, that's not Christ. Where is life found? In Christ. Whether you're rich or whether you're poor, be righteous with it. Be generous with it. If you have a big house, open it up. If you have a small house, open it up. Don't have a house, let us know. We'll try to get you some place to stay. This is the people of Christ, right? Third point, following Jesus is about treasuring him above family. This is tricky. I mean, this is Mother's Day, for Pete's sake, right? Why this land here? Hey, look what he says. He says, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. Oh my gosh. You go proclaim the kingdom of God. That's a little rough, Jesus. 
Let, I just want to bury my dad. I mean, what's going on here, by the way? Doesn't the Bible say, honor your father and your mother, Jesus? I mean, that was, I think, the fifth commandment, if memory serves me correct, right? That doesn't sound very honoring. By the way, making sure dad got a proper, proper funeral, that seems to be honoring. And he's like, no, let the dead bury their own dead. Let's rock and roll. I got a mission for you, son. Let's roll. What's he saying? This has always been tricky for me, by the way, as I read that. What's going on here? Essentially, he's saying, let the spiritually dead bury their own. Why? Because dead people can't bury dead people, right? That shouldn't be like, oh, yeah. Like, right? If you're dead, you need buried. You can't actually do the burying. He's saying, let the spiritually dead, those who want nothing to do with me, they'll take care of your dad. My guess is, by the way, and, and I could be wrong, but, but I really think this is true. I don't think his father is actually dead yet. I don't even think he's probably on hospice care. I really don't. I, I think it's like in time, when my dad dies, I can sell off everything, then I'll get serious about Jesus. So let, let me just hang out, do the honorable thing here. Why? Because Jews would never let a dead person be unburied for more than a second because it would make them unclean. So I don't think he's physically dead. He's procrastinating. <laughs> he's saying, yeah, but. You ever said that when Jesus called you? we got to be on guard that our loyalties to our family do not become our idolatries. It's a fine line. You're, you love your family. If you're like, I don't know, should I love my family or Jesus more? Actually, love Jesus the most and you'll love your family best. That's what he's saying. I mean, this is, this is not complicated stuff. We make it complicated. He's saying, if you will worship and love me preeminent, first, foremost, you'll love your wife best. You'll love your husband best. You'll love your kids best. Why? Because to love me most is the best thing for you and for your family. Why? Because you'll be merciful and you won't love them more than you love me. Oh, how many times I've seen, how many times I have fallen for the trap of putting people who are made in God's image in the role of God. Putting my hope in the fact that this person might do this thing for me. It, it's crushing to them and it's no good for me. We are meant to worship God alone. And then everything else just falls into that place. It, the problem is it's this but first attitude. Do you see it? I mean, over and over, it's the same thing. right? I'll follow you, Jesus, when I'm done with high school. But, but right now, that's not real popular. It's not real cool. So I'm going to wait till I'm done with high school, then I'll do it. And then college comes. I'll follow you after college. Oh, they don't like that here either. Okay, I'll follow you when I'm married. Because right now I'm having too much fun dating and fornicating. I'll get serious with you when I got a wife, when I got, when I got, a, when I got a husband. Then, but right now, if I were to follow you, I know you got a real problem with my little extracurricular activity. So I'll follow you then. I, I'll follow you when my parents die. Right? Because they don't actually like you and they might reject me. Oh, I'll follow you when I'm financially secure because right now you want some money, I heard. I mean, that church keeps talking about it. I'll follow you then. And on and on. I'll follow you when my children grow up and when they leave home because right now they really want to do all these things on Sunday and I don't want to give that time up with them. Jesus is saying more or less it's now or never. That's what he's saying to these people. That's what he's saying to you. Why? Because you're not promised even this afternoon. Family, we have the words of life. Life is short. Hell is hot. It's eternal. So we don't have a lot of time. So we go, filled with mercy, proclaiming the kingdom of God. What's the main point? I was thinking about doing one point, but I did that last time. I thought, yeah, we'll give, them, we'll give them four points. We'll really throw them off. But it's all the same point. Following Jesus is about treasuring Him above all. That's the last point, but that is the point. It's the point. Look what, look what He says. Another says, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at home. And Jesus says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. That's rough stuff. I just want to say bye. Can I text them? 
and text him. What's the point? He's talking about a divided heart. He's talking about a divided heart, divided attention. Try driving down 30. Don't actually do this. Try driving down 30 with, with your hand on the wheel, your arm over here, and looking back. And I, don't do that. That's really a bad idea. I'm not actually instructing anyone to do that. Pastor Scott told me, <laughs> no. It ain't going to end well. It's, it's not going to end well. It's, it's going to end in tragedy for you, potentially for some other people. It's the same thing. You, you cannot follow Christ with a divided heart and divided attention. He wants it all. He wants it all. He wants all of you. I hear Christians at times, I did it too, I'm not picking on anybody. Oh, I remember the good old days back when I could just do what I wanted. I don't know about you. If I think long and hard enough, those were not the good old days. They weren't the good old days. The good life's with Christ. He's not calling you to a life of, of, oh, this is going to be awful. No, he is abundant life. He's full of life. He's where life is found. And when you worship him preeminently, first and foremost, and you place everything else under his good rule and his reign, you don't hate life, you enjoy life. You enjoy your home. You enjoy your family. You enjoy long goodbyes. You enjoy long hellos, right? You enjoy all these things. And he has no problem with any of that. He only has a problem with that because he loves you most when you say, that's my God. That's my life. And he's saying, that's not life. Follow me. I'm true treasure. And you know this is true. Imagine if your relationship, whether, let's, say you're, let's say you're married. Some of you are single. Sorry for so many illustrations about marriage because I know many of you are single. Sorry. But imagine you're married and you're, all, you're always thinking about your high school sweetheart. By the way, you didn't marry that person. And you're always checking the Instagram page. And you're always wondering, wonder, wonder what they're up to. Ooh, they look happy. I wonder if they're happier with, without me. And oh, by the way, McFly, you're married. Well, I don't actually send messages, but you're divided. You have a divided heart. And this is what Jesus is warning you against. He's saying, I must take place in all things. And then... Oh, you might enjoy this life like you couldn't imagine. Why? Because now everything just gets placed where it belongs. So it's about ordering things. When I'll follow you, right? You want to know what it's really like? Oh, by the way, how did it turn out for these three? We don't know. Can't wait to find out in heaven. I hope they went. All right, I'll tell them bye later, I guess. Let's go. This is strange, Jesus, but okay. We don't know. But here's the question. How would you respond? What is it takes place in your heart? You know. You're not like, oh, I don't know. You know. What is it that consumes your thinking, your time, your money? What is it? Career? I don't know. What is it? And Jesus says, yeah, come on, let's go. Would you, would you go? Oh, he's not asking me that. Oh, he's asking you that. <laughs> he's definitely asking you that. I'll tell you what, you'll go if you see them. You want to know what I mean by that? Matthew 13, 44, probably one of my favorite stories in all the Bible. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. Strange. Which a man found and covered up. So, God's walking through the field, stumbles upon a little thing. Oh, it's a treasure. Does that ever happen when you're walking? I found some strange things. Never treasure, right? He's like, I want this. But I don't own this field. He's a real moral guy. I'm going to go sell everything I have. That's what it says. Then in his joy, not like, oh, I guess I have to go sell everything. His joy, he sells everything he has. He buys the field. He doesn't want the field. He wants the treasure. The kingdom of God is like that. What does that mean? It's not about the kingdom. It's about the king. Jesus is the treasure. And when you see him, when you find him, when he shows you who he is, when he reveals how beautiful he is, you would say, I'd give anything to have you. And when you, by God's grace, come to that moment, you have everything. Until then, 
Until then, you're just collecting trinkets in this world. They will disappoint you. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's your marriage, your kids, your finances. It's all gone away. Someday. And at the end of the day, the only thing you will have is Christ. And if you have Christ and He has you, trust me, you have everything. You have everything. Even if you lose it in this life. Even if you walk away from whatever it is. Why? How do I know that? Because Jesus says in Mark 10, He says, 10, 29-30, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brother or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now. Oh, I love that he says now. He's like, yeah, I won't get to heaven. I sit on a cloud and strum my heart. Now, in this time, houses and brothers and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands with persecution, and in the age, eternal life to come. Oh, if you have Christ, and He has you, and you think, man, if I just had this, I'd have life, you have everything, even if you never get that. This is the difference between the world's discipleship and Christ. The world says, be popular. Jesus says, reject popularity. Be popular with me. The world says, be great. Jesus says, reject greatism. Be great with me. Be successful, and on and on and on. Listen, family, the call to follow Jesus in all things, it, it's not that we do them perfectly. Pay attention. We're, we're literally, we're one, two minutes from being done. The call to follow Jesus in all things is not that we do them perfectly. Because you might be thinking, man, I, I, I don't do these things perfectly. Welcome to the club. I don't either. It really is a sloppy straining forward by God's grace. It's a journey. As we follow the one, listen, who did leave comfort. He left his home in heaven. He was willing to be in a moment upon a cross wondering, why have you forsaken me? To his father in order to put his hand to the plow and never look back as he went to the cross. That's treasure. He's treasure. You and I all need help. Much help, much grace, much power to do the impossible things that Christ is asking us to do. Thankfully, we have real help. We have real mercy. We have real grace. We have real power. Why? Because God has given us himself in the gift of the Holy Spirit for all who believe in Jesus Christ. So no matter what he calls you to, he will empower you to obey, to do it. You're thinking, I don't know if I could do that right now. He's not giving you the power to do that right now then. But don't mistake in that and think, oh, I can trust him. Because power shows up when you take the step of faith. You don't take the step when you think, I can do this. That's you, not him. He'll give you the grace to do it. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you found it helpful, we encourage you to enjoy more of our sermons, find out more information about For the City, or how to partner with us through prayer and giving at www.forthecity.church. For the City exists to magnify Jesus by making disciples who share and show the transforming power of the gospel and plant churches that multiply.